All right, the, the title of the message this morning is called Father Wars. It's called Father Wars, and the big idea is to um, show from Scripture how we can look at the world through the eyes of a conflict of fatherhoods. There's um, heavenly fathers warring to be the one that you call dad. There's heavenly fathers warring to be the one that you put your trust in and that you identify with. And what I'm going to, we're going to walk through the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And then at the end, we're going to have time to uh, come and process with the Lord and invite him to touch us with his Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit, as we were singing about today, is the spirit of adoption. It's the Holy Spirit that comes and confirms the fatherhood of God to us and applies everything that Jesus has secured for us as the children of God to us. Okay, so this is the plan. We're going to learn about father wars, and then we're going to have time to approach the father through Jesus and get impacted by his power through the Holy Spirit. Or, in a nutshell, we're going to be Christians. All right, the story of Elijah and the priests of Baal. You may have heard it before. It's one of the more popular stories in the Old Testament because it involves massive explosions of fire coming down from heaven as well as battle. And so you, if you went through Sunday school, you probably hit this one about once a year. Susan, is this part of our curriculum, Elijah and the priests of Baal? Every three years. Every three years. Okay, well, maybe we can just do that one a bit more than that because this is such a great story. And the big picture of the story, and I'll read it from the scriptures in a second, from 1 Kings 18. The big picture is that we're in the time of the Old Testament when the kings were ruling over a divided Israel. All right, so we had a couple of good kings right at the beginning in David and Samuel, but right off the bat, um, the train went off the rails, just to mix my metaphors. And we started having kings who were idolaters. They weren't faithful to the Lord. And so they led themselves and their people into serving idols and serving false gods. And so what God did was he raised up prophets to be, um, to kind of correct the kings and fight against the kings and to care for the faithful people in Israel at that time. Okay. So we have prophets and kings kind of at the same time, the kings should be faithful in leaving the people into true worship, but they don't. And so here are the prophets being God's mouthpiece to correct them and confront them. And Elijah shows up in 1 Kings 17, and he comes onto the scene by declaring to Ahab, who is the king at the time, that there's going to be a famine until Elijah says so. So Elijah is coming to Ahab and saying, according to God, I've got my arm on the rain switch and I'm turning it to off right now. And then he disappears because, as you can imagine, if you're a king and a prophet comes up to you and says there won't be any rain, so everyone's going to start dying of famine and thirst soon, and it starts happening, you'd probably be pretty upset and you'd probably want to go and grab that prophet and apply all kinds of forms of torture to him until he flips the switch the other way. So Elijah disappears. He goes to, uh, hides at a brook where nobody else goes, I take, and I take it, and God feeds him via ravens for quite a while until the brook dries up. And that's a sign that the famine is happening, okay? Or sorry, the drought is in effect. When rivers dry up, that means there's been no rain. And so once the river dries up, God sends him to go and stay at a widow's house somewhere outside of Israel. So she's a foreign woman. She lives in Zarephath. And he says, you go and stay there. And he shows up right as they're about to eat their last meal. And they do eat their last meal, but the food doesn't run out for years until 
the appointed time. And at the right time, God tells Elijah to go and confront Ahab again. And Elijah comes up and tells Ahab, we're going to have a, a ho- showdown at the hoedown. Uh, we're going we're gonna to figure out this thing, who's really God. All right, and so then we'll pick up here in verse 20 of chapter 18, Elijah versus the priests of Baal. And I'm going to read right through till verse 40. Now, I know some of us are more naturally predisposed to paying attention while someone's reading, and some of us kind of need a little bit more visual stimulation. So just bear with me if you're not used to listening. You can read along in your Bible. That's a great way to work with yourself if you're visually oriented, or you can read along on your smartphone. I trust you have an app there. But I'm going to read this because this is the Word of God. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Okay, so they're not convinced by the immediate challenge. They're kind of like, I don't know what to do here. What do you want to do? I don't know what we're going to want to do. Nobody, they're just an uncommitted people. They don't even respond to the challenge. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it into pieces, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire on it. And I'll prepare the other bull, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire on it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Okay, so it's a power encounter. It's whoever's God is able to answer with fire. Plus, they're probably intrigued to see what kind of pyrotechnics are going to be going off. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourself a bull and prepare it, for you are many. He wants to give them the, 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 all the advantages. There's lots of you, and you get to go first, and you get to pick the best one. Whichever, whichever bull looks more flammable, you can pick that one. Um, whichever one looks like it's going to explode more easily. And they took the bull that, they, that was given them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us, for there is no vo-. but there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made, and at noon Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is amusing, or is he re- he's relieving himself, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. So he's bugging them. He's like, maybe your God is just, you know, on Facebook, and he's lost tra- track of the time, or maybe he had too much cheese for dinner last night, and he just is still in the washroom, and everyone's knocking on the door, but he just can't get out right now. And so he's making fun of them. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And at midday past, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. And then I won't read this section here. Elijah prepares his sacrifice and pours three big buckets of water on it so that it fills up a trench around the altar. Verse 36. And at that time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned back their hearts. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. 
And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Father, I just thank you so much for your word. And Father, I pray that you'd help me afresh today with an anointing and grace to serve your word well. And I pray, Father, more than you helping me, I pray that you would help each person here, Father. You have a plan and a purpose and a love for each person that's in this room. And I pray, Father, that nothing would stand in the way of them knowing who you are and who they are and what the next step of faith is in their life and their walk with you. Father, would you establish your kingdom here and sanctify your name over Calvary Chapel in Jesus' mighty name and by the power of your spirit. Amen. So I want, what I'm saying is that this story is about father wars and that what is going on in this story applies to actually the whole world and all of human history. It's a competition of fathers. And so if I can get the next slide, I want to first talk about a competition of heavenly fathers and then I want to talk about a competition of earthly fathers, okay? So in this story, we have a competition of heavenly fathers. First in the, you know, in the red corner wearing the brown trunks is Baal. All right, and so he's a Canaanite fertility god. He was worshipped as the one in charge of thunder and rain. And so in the Middle East, where um, you really, really, really needed it to rain in order for your crops to grow and for you to have something to drink and for you to not die, uh, rain was really important. Okay, And so Baal got a lot of press. He got a lot of esteem. He got a lot of honor. He got a lot of sacrifice. But the thing that kind of emphasizes that he is a father was how he, people thought he controlled the weather. Okay? Um, I, I really hate describing this, so forgive me if I seem uncomfortable. What they kind of thought was that Baal was a thunder god who lived up in the skies, and his wife was Mother Earth. She had a different name, but his wife was the Earth. And what they would do as part of their worship when they needed rain was that they would have people act out um, a marriage interaction in the temple in front of Baal to kind of get him interested in having his own rendezvous with his wife. And you knew that it was successful because the rain came down to impregnate his wife and cause the crops to come out of the ground. All right, so a little bit disturbing uh, from our point of view, but that was the idea. When Baal controlled the weather and when he got the hots for his wife, then the rain came down and she was impregnated and the crops came up. That was the idea. Point of interest. Who was controlling the rain at this point of the story? Baal? Elijah. At the word of the Lord. He's the one who's in control of the rain. So these guys are already off to a bad footing. But um, sin always makes you dumb. That's just the nature of sin. It always makes you dumb. And so the prophets of Baal who are worshiping Baal, though it hasn't rained in three and a half years, because the guy that they're fighting against said it wouldn't. They just don't seem to clue into this. And that's fine. On the other hand, we have the Lord, who um, is not married to anybody. He's the Lord. He's the creator of heaven and earth, but he is a father. Okay, so Baal's fatherhood had to do with crops. The Lord's fatherhood has to do with selecting a people for himself in the world to be his own children. So if you've been reading Exodus lately, in Exodus chapter 4, starting verse 22, God is teaching Moses what to say when Moses is going to go to Pharaoh to rescue the Israelites out of Egypt. And he tells Moses to say this. He says, you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. 
Okay? So, Baal is a father type. He's a type of heavenly father and he's in charge of the crops. And the Lord is a heavenly father and Israel is his son. But Israel is not worshiping his heavenly father. He's, Israel's got a divided heart. Okay? But this is father wars. The Lord says, I am a father and I am the true father. And there are other things that say, no, 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 I'm the real father. I'm the heavenly father. Trust me, serve me. And it's a war. It's a battle. And this scene here with Elijah is a power encounter to prove that only the Lord is the true powerful father in heaven. It's also a battle of spiritual fathers. Okay. Uh, heavenly fathers have spiritual fathers on the earth serving them, representing them. Uh, people are made in God's image. We image God, and God works through his image bearers. It, and false gods also work through false image bearers, corrupted image bearers. But there are two spiritual fathers in battle in this scene, Elijah and Ahab. And the scriptures want us to kind of see these two individuals in comparison and in competition. And it, and we get this from a little bit earlier in the same chapter. Okay, so here's the scenario. God has sent Elijah back to confront Ahab. It's been about three years since the famine started. He says, okay, now it was three years since you told Ahab that the famine would start. You haven't seen him since then. Go back and see Ahab again. And so Elijah obeys. And the first person he runs into is this guy named Obadiah. Obadiah works for Ahab, and right now Ahab and Obadiah are scouring Israel looking for some green grass to feed their horses so all their horses don't die. Ahab went one way, Obadiah went the other way, and Elijah appears to Obadiah. And Elijah tells Obadiah, go tell Ahab I'm here, and Obadiah freaks out because he thinks that Elijah might disappear. You know, maybe he has some premonition about the whole fiery chariot thing. Elijah, what if you disappear? And Ahab's just going to get mad at me and kill me for yanking his chain. He's spazzing. And so this is what he says. Uh, This is Obadiah speaking to Elijah. Has it not been told to my Lord, he's talking to Elijah and saying, you're my true Lord, even though I work with Ahab, what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, Jezebel is Ahab's wife, how I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifties in a cave and fed them with water and bread. And now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah's here and he will kill me. And Elijah said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. So Obadiah went and met Ahab and told him and Ahab went to meet with Elijah. Excuse me. So there's this first scene. Okay. Elijah, the prophet and Obadiah saying, you're my Lord, you're my master. And Obadiah has been providing for prophets of the Lord, taking care of them out of his own means. And then we have this next scene. We get some details from when Elijah talks to Ahab. Ahab says to him, is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have and your father's house because you've abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now I said before that sin makes you dumb. Case in point, part two. Ahab is saying, Elijah, this is all your fault. Well, Ahab's the one worshiping idols, which brought on the famine in the first place. So we got to be careful. Then Elijah says to him, Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, and the 450 prophets of Baal, and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. Okay, Rob, what are you talking about? On the one hand, we have Elijah, and he's being served by Obadiah, 
and Obadiah is taking care of a hundred prophets of the Lord. On the other hand, we have Ahab, and Ahab is being served by Jezebel, and Jezebel is taking care of 900, sorry, 850 prophets who are false prophets. And we're supposed to look at that and say, I see what's going on here. We have prophets being taken care of by stewards who are both serving spiritual fathers. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to see Ahab and Elijah in competition of spiritual fathers, and they're each serving a heavenly father. Elijah is serving the Lord, and Ahab is serving Baal. Heavenly fathers, spiritual fathers, stewards, prophets. That's what we're supposed to see. And we're supposed to get the clue that this is father wars. We live in father wars. They lived in father wars. Heavenly fathers battling, spiritual fathers in contest, and all their children bearing the father's image. The spiritual father's image and the heavenly father's image. Amen? Clear as mud? If that was a little bit too quick for you, the message will be online a few minutes after we're done. And you can run it through in slow motion. But I think you get the point. And the thing we're supposed to get is that God took the time to give us these details because he wants to understand what he's trying to say. He could have just said, Elijah went and talked to Ahab and then they had this firefight. No, 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 no. All these details came out so that we would get it. Heavenly fathers are represented by spiritual fathers and they have spiritual children and there is father wars happening in the earth. And the main issue is not really who's got the biggest flamethrower. Right? That's, the, that's what Elijah says, the God who answers by fire. He is God. And who's got the biggest flamethrower? Who can drop the nukes from the sky? You know, who's got the stealth bombers? That's not the issue. This whole scenario is about where's your heart? It's a battle for the heart. Where's your heart? Where's your heart? And this is a big deal. So, friend and Christian, know this. The universe is father wars, and your heart, not somebody else's heart, your heart is the issue. We know this here. When Elijah appears to the people of God, and we read it, he says to them, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, worship him. And if Baal is God, worship him. This is about being true, being faithful. He's saying, if you really, really think that Baal is a God, then go for it. Like, just just go. Just go do it. Just go all in. Just drink it to the dregs. Just jump off the cliff. Just go for it. But if you think that the Lord is God, then go for it and do that. Then be devoted, be faithful, take your heart and give it to one or the other. Because right now you're kind of trying to do both. And it looks like a limping person trying to run a race. It looks like somebody who took a gun and blew off the big toe on both of their feet and are now staggering as this kind of messy, pulpy red stuff on the racetrack mess down the road. And you can mentally picture that if you want to. But he's saying, this is not a beautiful thing to watch. The people of God half-heartedly devoted to a false heavenly father and half-heartedly devoted to the Lord. And what it really is, is no devotion to the Lord. And that's why it's a problem. Uh, You can't be half-married. It's like uh, when sometimes people will say um, that a woman is a little bit pregnant. It's like, that's not how it works. 
And even more clearly, we see this as, as the issue. When Elijah is praying to the Lord, he soaked his offering. He's made it impossible for natural fire to start this offering up. Okay, he's, he's soaked it so that no, two, no Boy Scouts with sticks could come and just do this thing and just get the friction. It's just, it's soaked. It's like trying to start a fire underwater. He's made it impossible for natural means to light this thing up. And in his prayer, he ends his prayer to the Lord that the Lord would send fire by saying, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and, and this is the key part, that you have turned their hearts back. That's, that's the whole point of the fight. God, send fire on this offering so that the people will know that you have turned their hearts back. It's about hearts. We're in Father Wars, and it's all about our hearts. We're in Father Wars, and it's all about who do we trust? Who is our dad? Who do we identify with? Who do we look to? Who, do, who tells us who we are? Who is our father? And who are the spiritual fathers that serve the Heavenly Father that we trust and surrender and submit to and follow? That's the issue. Now, the problem with this conflict with Elijah is, if you know the story, um, it's only in the next chapter that Elijah's running away from Jezebel because Jezebel gets so angry. Oh, my pet prophets are dead. It's like if somebody went to the pet store and squeezed all the heads off the budgies and they're just, ah, she's really mad. And my pet prophets are dead. You know, those prophets who do what I tell them, they're dead and I'm mad about it. Um, and again, sin makes you dumb, right? Like if, why are they dead? Well, the fire came down from heaven for Elijah. Well, I don't care. Those are my prophets. I owned them. So, you know, if you think about it, you'd be like, fire really came down? Well, maybe I've made a mistake. That would be the, the rational way to... Can you show... Yeah, there's this big crater in the ground where the fire was. Like, it, it melted the stones. Can you show me that? That's not the response. It's, my, my prophets! Blah! Maybe you've been like that before. Anyhow, it didn't work. And the people's hearts weren't really turned back. And so what happens is that this Elijah prayer desire that God would move in such a way as to turn hearts back to God for real, for real, and not just, you know, a pyrotechnics display, but like real hearts really touched. This prayer echoes on through the history of God's people for hundreds of years. And so if I can get the next slide, uh, Hundreds of years later, Malachi, the prophet, is writing, and he's, his book is all about um, learning to honor God as a great king and as a great father. And I'm right in the middle of um, a series on Malachi in the midweeks. So if you want to learn a bit more about Malachi, you can go onto the website there. But he ends his book with this prophecy about the future. And it's all about fulfilling Elijah's prayer. So he says, this is the Lord speaking through Malachi. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Okay, so this whole thing where Elijah's fighting and he's calling down miracles and his heart's desire is for people's hearts to really be turned to the Lord, that prayer, though not answered at that moment, is picked up and carried on and expanded in Malachi, where Malachi is saying it's not just about turning hearts to the Heavenly Father, it is actually about turning hearts to earthly fathers and turning the hearts of earthly fathers to their children. God doesn't want to just do a reconciliation like this, he wants to do a reconciliation like 
like this as well. He wants to rescue our relationship with God as father and rescue our relationship as fathers with sons and daughters and as sons and daughters with fathers. Okay? It's being expanded. But here's this promise. Elijah, your prayer, though not totally answered in your day, I will raise up another Elijah and I will do what you asked me to do. Okay? And then we see this carried forward into the New Testament time as well. And an angel in Luke appears to Zechariah to talk about John the Baptist, who's going to prepare the way for Jesus. And here's a quotation from what the angel says. He says, and this is about John the Baptist, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah and turn the hearts of fathers, of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a day prepared. In one sense, this is a great example of how God uses prophecy. Over time, he like expands and clarifies, expands and clarifies. This is what I'm up to. This is what I'm up to. This is what I'm up to. And you can see by the time Elijah's prayer before the altar where the fire come down and um, the angels promise that this is going to be happening during John the Baptist's ministry, you can see how it expands. The children of Israel turning to the Lord their God. And this one in the spirit of power and power of Elijah impacting families and turning the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people for the Lord. So it's expanded and explained and filled out in a major and awesome way. But it's all about hearts and relationships. It's, it's all about fathers and children. And what I'm trying to say is the whole universe is about father wars. And what Elijah was praying for was victory. Victory for the Heavenly Father. Victory for spiritual fathers. Victory for spiritual children. And restored relationships for everyone involved. That was the plan and the prophecy. Amen? Do you you see it? So how did God ultimately fulfill this prayer that the father wars would be won and relationships would be restored? Well, I want to compare this scene with Elijah before his altar with the ministry of Jesus Christ. Okay, and I, I think that we're meant to, to be able to look back at this scene and see a picture of Jesus and what was going on here. And in part, I think it's so because you may remember, but Elijah said, I have done all these things according to your word. He's praised that to God. And what he's saying is this whole scene with the prophets of Baal and the altar and the calling down fire, God, you orchestrated this. This is what you wanted to happen. And so we can look at it and go, God had bigger plans for this scene than just a firefight. All right, so in Elijah, we see the one true prophet of God left in a world of disobedience, looking, looking to a sacrifice to bring down the fire of God, which would turn God's people's hearts back to him, as we've seen Elijah. And in Jesus Christ, we see the true, true, true prophet of God offering himself as a sacrifice to bring down the true fire of God, which is the Holy Spirit, to transform 
the people's hearts, turning us to the Heavenly Father and turning fathers to children and children to fathers, children to fathers. We're supposed to see in this scene a picture of Jesus standing before an altar, calling down fire to change everyone's heart. And in the New Testament times, which is when we live, amen, hello, this is us, Jesus Christ has offered himself as a sacrifice and called down the fire of heaven, which is the Holy Spirit, so that we can be transformed by the inside out, from the inside out, and that we would be going to God as our heavenly Father and having grace and power to have restored relationships with earthly fathers, spiritual fathers, and children. That's the bridge. And this is part of why I took that time to say, Malachi was saying something was going to happen, and John the, or the, the angel told Zechariah something big was going to happen. I'm not just, just saying dot, dot. I'm saying dot, 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 dot. God's been drawing this line for quite a long time. He took hundreds of years to work this out so that we would get it. That the gospel is about us coming back to the Father and having restored fathering relationships. And so we are called to be children on fire. That, that's what we're supposed to be. We're, we're supposed to be children on fire. Jesus Christ, the true Elijah, called down the fire of heaven onto us so that we would be able to really, 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 really know that God is our Father and live that life. Okay, we sang that song. We sang that song. I have been not been given a spirit that makes me a slave again to fear, but I have been given the spirit of adoption, which makes me cry out, Abba, Father. And that is the fire of God. That is the Holy Spirit working in us. We are not slaves to the fear of Baal. We are not slaves to the fear of famine. We are not slaves to the fear of crowds. We are the children of God. And he has put his fire onto us and sent it into the world so that we can really have our hearts changed and really have our relationships changed and not just watch something burn up and not go away untransformed. Okay, we are children of fire. We are children on fire. This is the truth. We just don't always live like it. Okay, this is the reality. And so we are called to be on fire for Jesus. Amen? Like this isn't just something for the people who want the gold medals for Christian craziness. We exist because God sent his fire onto us. We are meant to live zealous, committed, wholehearted, extremist life for, life for Jesus. And yes, I use the word extremist. Amen? Amen. There's a difference between a Christian extremist and every other kind of extremist. Other extremists blow things up. Christian extremists get blowed up. That's the difference. That is the difference. Other extremists shoot the bullets. Christian extremists take the bullets for Christ. That's, that's the big difference. But it is how we're supposed to live. That's supposed to be normal childhood. This normal, normal Christian childhood is flaming commitment to Jesus. Just boiling over in zeal to your father because you know him and he's transformed you and you love him and he's the best. He's the best. He's the best. You just don't want to go back to a bail because bail's a loser and he doesn't show up and you can run around cutting yourselves, expecting things to change and he won't. 
won't answer and nobody's listening. And people in this room have spent years hoping that some fake heavenly father would show up and you're destroying your lives and making wrong choices and he never comes and he never comes and nothing's ever better and you're never feeling better. It's time to get the fire of fatherhood falling on you and to be a true child of God. He is the answer and he does send the fire. That's the truth. So we're meant to be children on fire. We're, we're meant to... How's your zeal doing? How's your zeal? Amen? You don't have to get on an airplane to be zealous for Jesus. You just have to just take him seriously every day. Take yourself seriously. Your heart is the treasure of the Father Wars. Your trust, your faith in Jesus is what this universe is all about. And today is the only day we have to be zealous for Jesus. You can't do tomorrow. As soon as you're in tomorrow, it's today. It's out of reach. Only God can exist in tomorrow. You can't change the past. You can cover it in the blood of Jesus, though. You can't change the past, but you can cover it in the blood of Jesus. And today is a day for knowing God and being wholehearted, sold out, devoted, committed, believing, and walking with him. And I'm not putting a pressure on you. I'm just saying, be who you are, Christian. And say yes to the Holy Spirit of God who is here to make our adoption real and to produce the fruit of being like the Father. We're also called to see the world as father wars. Okay? When we read the news, when you read the headlines, it's who's the father in this situation? These guys made some choices. Is God their father? Doesn't look like it. These people made some other choices. Is God their father? Maybe. We're called to see the world as father wars. Just like we can look back in the Old Testament times and I can get here and I can read some verses and point things out and I say, look, there's some themes in here that make it look like everything's about fatherhood. And we're supposed to look at our lives the same way. We're supposed to look at our culture the same way. And I have a hard time not doing that, okay? So I look at the whole adoption, or sorry, abortion issue. Well, adoption issues, fatherhood issue too. The whole abortion issue in Canada, and I think this is father wars. When we in Canada talk about whether or not adoption is right or wrong, we never talk about the dad. It's almost like there's a guy involved with a baby. Like, I, I don't know how all the kids in children's ministry got into the world, but our kids, there was a dad involved. There was a guy involved. You know, I'm not a doctor. Myron's a doctor. You can help me. <laughs> There's usually a guy involved. Sometimes it's a bad scene, okay? Sometimes it's really bad. But there's, as far as I know, 99.9999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999
And the fact that there are no guys busting up the joint to try to protect their kids from getting killed is also a fatherhood issue. Amen? When's the last time you heard about that? You know, Peter Penner is doing 10 years. Why? Well, his kid was going to get aborted, so he smashed some windows in, and, and it didn't happen, but he, he broke a law. How come we have to wait for the kid to be born before we say we'll lay down our lives for them? And I'm totally not advocating breaking anything or smashing anything, but like I said in the first sermon, if that is your story, I will come visit you in jail and give you a fist bump. And let me, let me just walk this story out a little bit. Okay, imagine you met somebody who is alive because their dad busted up a joint before the abortion could be performed. Let's say he even spent 10 years in jail. Would that little girl, 10 years old, wonder whether or not her dad wanted her in the world? Not everybody in this room can say that they know that for sure. That little girl would have some stuff to work through in her family life, but she wouldn't be wondering, Does my, is my dad glad I'm alive? Because he went to jail for me to be alive. Okay, so I know I'm just walking out a hypothetical situation here, but all I'm saying is the fact that that never happens is father wars. And it's a big sign our culture is way past lost it. Utterly defeated. I could go on from there. We're supposed to read the world as father wars. And we're supposed to respond to what's going on in the world by saying, you need a dad. You need a heavenly father. That's why Jesus taught us to pray, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Jesus taught us to believe that what the world needs is a dad. A righteous dad, a good dad, a never running out, never quitting, never abandoning dad. Unable to provide and able to protect dad. It's father wars. We're called to honor fathers. That's part of our response. And the learning to honor fathers, physical and spiritual fathers, can be one of the most difficult parts of becoming a Christian. Okay, can I just paint that out? One of the hardest parts about being a Christian is that learning to honor fathers is a non-negotiable. It, it just, it, ha- it is part of this life. Learning to honor your father, your physical father, learning to honor spiritual fathers, it is part of the li- this life, just like forgiving people is. When Jesus said, forgive other people so that you can be forgiven, it's kind of like, what about option two? I want the option where I don't have to forgive and everything's awesome. And Jesus is like, we don't serve that at Kingdom Cafe. But, you know, Bale's Burger House has it on the menu, menu, but it will make you sick every time if you eat it. Part of the Christian life is forgiving. Part of the Christian life is learning to honor fathers. And this is where things can get kind of complicated because often physical fathers have been very disappointing. Okay? Um, Every physical father fails to match up to the, the heavenly father. That's a given. We shouldn't be surprised when that happens. But some physical fathering is very disappointing for the children. And, um, and that's a reality. And so God calls us to learn to honor. And often the process is, number one, just learning to forgive. Okay? You, you own disappointments. You own hurt. You own 
that he wasn't there either physically or financially or emotionally or whatever. You just own the missingness and then with God's help, you, you forgive. You say, I forgive. I just forgive. I release it to you, Lord. I don't want to judge. don't want to hold against. I just give it to you. You're the judge, God. And you come and, and be my dad where my dad wasn't my dad. Okay, that's often step one. Then often step two is learning to appreciate something. Okay, you're in the honoring job. You learn to appreciate something. And so it could be something small, like my dad did work hard, or he did do this one thing that I appreciated one time, or he didn't leave my mom, or whatever it was. You find something to be grateful for as a way of helping your heart learn to honor. And then from there, you can sometimes, if you're blessed, you have opportunities to actually speak blessing over physical dads. But if physical dads aren't also spiritual dads, because they're not always the same, sometimes your physical father is a great spiritual father. And sometimes people are really blessed by that. Somebody got up in the first service and said, I'm really blessed because my dad was such a great dad. It's not a stretch for me to believe that God the Father loves me because my dad was so great. Okay, so that does happen. But often physical dads are not spiritual dads. And so we end up with this division where you learn to honor a non-spiritual father in a certain way, but non-spiritual fathers don't make spiritual demands on you. Do you know what I'm talking about there? Like if if you... grow up or live with a father who isn't zealous for the Lord, there's a whole area of your spiritual life that they never exhort you in or never call you up in or never say, hey, this is how we live in. They just leave you to it. They can be sometimes very undemanding. And so you can learn to honor this kind of fatherhood without ever getting challenged or exhorted or, or have those words said to you, you can do better. And so there's this whole gap of learning to honor spiritual fathers by obedience that we have bad practice in sometimes. Okay, this is my story. Okay, so my my physical dad, um, I I really loved him. He passed away last January. 25th will be the anniversary of it. And um, he he worked hard. He provided like crazy. Gift-giving was his love language. He uh, never left my mom. I think he really did love us, but not not a spiritual dad at all. So no leading into Christianity, no leading into prayer, none of that, no leading into Bible study. And so I thought I was doing a really good job honoring fatherhood because I was thankful for him and I wasn't angry at him about anything. But then I ran into a spiritual father named Dave Kaler and um, he was and is zealous to call out the best in people. That's what part of what fatherhood does. It says, I can see that God has put more into you than is coming out of you. I can see that God has bigger visions for you than what you want to do. And so fatherhood can call that out. And um, so we were in the foyer years ago. This is maybe two years into my time at Calvary Chapel before I was pastor here. And I used to get into these things that Jack and I called funks, which was kind of just smoldering bitterness. And so I would just be really grumpy all the time, even at church. Very unpleasant. My poor wife, she's smiling right now. Are you glad those days are mostly gone? Yeah, me too. And, uh, it's, but I, so yeah, amen. Thank you. Sarah's glad too. And, um, so I'm sure Dave could read this all on me on my body language or whatever. And he, he just approached me and he, he loved me like crazy ever since he met me. I'm sure I think God told him that I was going to be a spiritual son to him one day. And so he just had that grace on me. And so he says to me something along the lines of, um, Hey Rob, how you doing? Mm -hmm. You know, it's okay to feel down sometimes, but it's not okay to stay there. That's what he said. 
And you can see in doing that, he was doing spiritual exhortation. And I was so mad at him. I was so mad at him for quite a long time. It didn't help that I was already mad, but I was so mad because he was trying to spiritually father me. And I was just like, <clears throat> little did I realize that because I had the kind of heart that did this to spiritual fatherhood, I was also the kind of person that did this to heavenly fatherhood. You, you can't have it both ways. You can't reject spiritual fatherhood and accept heavenly fatherhood. And a belief in heavenly fatherhood expresses itself through a hunger and a desire and acceptance of spiritual fatherhood. So let me give you a different example of what I mean by the same thing. Okay, so if you're part of Calvary Chapel, you know I took about two months off from full-time ministry in September and October. Okay, God made it really clear. I had some heart issues to deal with. He wanted to put me on the anvil of of life and bring down the hammer of godliness on me for, for a while and beat some new shapes into my soul. And things were really bad at the beginning of September. And the only reason that I got through it in one sense is that I went to Ron McLean and Dave Kaler, who are my spiritual fathers, and just said, I will do whatever you tell me to do. It's like I said to them, spiritual fathers, hallowed be your name. Your kingdoms come, your wills be done in my life. Okay. And I just did whatever they said. Sometimes I enjoyed it. Sometimes it was boring. Sometimes some the hardest parts were when I would do what they said. And then I would tell them I did what you said. And it didn't seem like they cared. And uh, that was just God's way of helping me get over myself a bit. But God's heavenly fatherhood came in ridiculous power into my life because I said capital yes to spiritual fatherhood through people. All right? And so what I'm trying to say as in a big roundabout way is our honoring of fathers is all about how we honor the heavenly father. And if we, if, if, if we can't do it, with somebody, some human person, whether it's a pastor or spiritual dad in our life, that's telling you how things are going with your heavenly father. They're totally connected. They're absolutely connected. And part of sometimes getting healed in your relationship with your heavenly father is that God sends you a spiritual father to be him with flesh on, to be Jesus with flesh on, and to help you believe that you could be loved to help you believe that God wants to be with you, to help you all those ways. Amen? One slightly practical thing to say about being a physical father, spiritual father, um, before I invite people to come forward and, and get some prayer and meet with the Holy Spirit. If you're a physical father, spiritual father, and you just feel like you've blown it, blown it, blown it, and you're really full of regret... We have two options as fathers. You can either be just like the father or you can repent to people for not being like the father. Those are the two options. You can either be perfect or you can let people know that you aren't perfect and you're sorry for how that's impacted their lives. Okay, so Josh and I had a bit of a blowout this week. It was kind of minor. But as I went back to apologize to him for not being gracious when he came to apologize to me, part of my repentance was, you know what? I did not act like God the father when you said this. God the father would have acted like this and I didn't and so I apologize. 
And even my failures are helping to teach Josh what God the Father is like. We can either be like the Father or we can repent to people for not being like the Father. Both of them can push people in the right direction. A little practical piece of advice. We need the Father. Maybe the band can, can come up. I'm, I'm sure I've said some things this morning that have touched woundedness. All right. Um, the Western world is one of the most fatherhood-devastated cultures. whether it's through divorce or infidelity or stuff that happens on the internet or anger issues that never get dealt with or just guys having no clue what it means to be like the Heavenly Father. We are one of the most fatherhood-devastated cultures ever. And uh, so I'm, I'm very sure that I've, I've provoked some sadness or something today. And uh, I have no delight in that in itself. But... When a message like this comes out and it provokes strong emotions, that is the Heavenly Father saying, I want to meet with you there. I want to talk to you about that. I want to bring healing there. I want to be your dad in a way that somebody else wasn't. And so for this time, as the band is playing, uh, you can stay in your seat if you want to. If you can fellowship with the Lord there, that's fine. But I think there is a blessing for coming forward with whatever is going on and just saying, God, I want to know you as my dad. I don't actually want to have a divided heart. I don't want to go limping between you and other things. I don't want to go limping between you and the world, you and money, you and success, you and what people think about me on Facebook, you and whatever else it is. I actually want to have a heart that is united because you did it by your power. If you need to come forward because you're just feeling guilty about either how you've treated your father or how you've treated people as father, you can come and The blood of Jesus is here for you today. It is complete forgiveness. The reason Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice would be so that there would be nothing that could keep you from coming to his dad or his dad coming to you. Total forgiveness. Every failure, every sin forgiven by the blood of Jesus so that we could be reunited with God as our dad and loved as his children. Okay, so... Connecting with the Father is available. And he, now is a great time to do it. And I do want to encourage you. It's really easy to think, I'll just connect with God where I am. But there is a blessing in coming forward. And taking a physical step and saying, I want to meet with you, God. So I'm going to pray and then you can be led by the Lord. Father, I just thank you. Father, I thank you that even though we live in Father Wars, you are the winner. And your son Jesus has won the fight. He died for sins and now he is raised in righteousness. And you have sent your spirit in the world to be all the power we need to know you and fellowship with you and be transformed. Father, here we are. We're your people. We need you to touch our lives. So Lord, would you help us to to be honest with you about what's going on in our hearts? Father, I pray that all of our excuses and our defenses would come down. All of our self-justifications would come down. All of our wanting to blame other people would come down and we just come to you to get you through Jesus.